Revelation chapter 3. When Tom Brady was asked, what motivates you? What keeps you motivated? Now, he's not the greatest example in the world to use. I personally don't like Tom Brady. I mean, I wish his salvation, but other than that, there's not much that I like about him. Um, we did beat him twice in the Super Bowl, so I don't feel too bad about him. But, um, but they asked him, you know, what keeps you motivated? You've been in the Super Bowl so many times. You've won the Super Bowl all these times. What, what keeps you motivated? And he said it boils down to this. It boils down to these things. Should have, could have. He says, I don't want to live my life with a should have, could have kind of mentality. I want to give it my best as long as I got. And I don't want to look back and say, I should have done this and I could have done this. I just want to do it while I can. Wow, should have, could have. Interesting motivation. Now, let me, let me just tell you, there's a difference between being content, which God wants us to be, and being complacent, which God does not want us to be. Content, what is the difference? Well, here's what a content person would say. A content person would say this. I'll accept what God has given me and make the most of it. I'll do the best with what God has given me and I'll, I'll make the most of it. I'll make the most of this situation. I, I thank the Lord. I know how to be satisfied outside of things. That's a content person. A complacent person will say this. This is good enough because I can't do anything to make it better. Think about that. A content person understands. Hey, I'll accept what God has given me and I'll make the most of it. A complacent person says, well, this is what it is and it's never going to get any better. And I really can't do anything to make it better. Complacency. I mean, I want, you, I want you to think about this because when we get into the church of Sardis, I mean, this is a city. This is, a, this is an amazing city when we talk about this city. This city here of Sardis, if you didn't know, was well-placed. Anybody ever been to Burns, Colorado? Anybody ever visited Burns, Colorado? No? Well, Katie has. Me and Katie. Ellie has. She doesn't remember. She was in the belly at the time. But we went to Eagle, Colorado, and he takes us to Burns, Colorado. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about Burns. you got to go on this windy mountain road. you got to go up and down and come around. And, and, and there's only 100 people in Burns. I don't even know if it's even worth being named here. But there's 100 people. You know how I remember it? Because there was a guy from New York City there. Amen? I mean, we're everywhere. Don't mess with us. We're in Burns, Colorado. And so here, we go up this white, and this pastor, we were driving with this pastor, and Katie was pregnant, remember? And she was about 38 weeks at the time, close to that. And, and, uh, and Johnny was in the belly. Not Ellie, I'm sorry. Johnny was in the belly. And Johnny's in the belly. And this guy is going nuts on the hill. And my vein is coming out of my neck. And I'm like, this is this guy is crazy. He's like, yeah, we're going to birds. And I mean, the clips were off. I was scared to death. I was like, I get that. I never preached so hard in my life when I got to that church. I was on fire. I got in a pulpit. I gave it to that church. Hey, you need Jesus. You all need Jesus. And I was talking about the pastor too. You all need him. I gave it to that church. Very hard to get to. Very well placed. That's Sardis. It was on a mountain. It was very well placed, very hard to get to. 
1,500 feet you had to climb to get to it. It was a very wealthy, because it was next to a river up there, and I don't know how that all worked out, but they had this river next to the mountain, and what they would do is this, this river had gold. They were the first to have gold there, uh, mint coins there, and they were a very wealthy town. This was one of the richest cities, richest towns there. So it was well-placed, it was wealthy, and it was wicked. I mean, they would, listen to this, they would bathe in bull's blood to get rejuvenated. And they believed in the earth mother. And they believed that when they died, they would be reunited with the earth mother. And they were a wicked, wicked city. And so they're well-placed, they're wealthy, they're wicked, and there's an earthquake in A.D. 17 that knocks the city almost completely down. They rebuild the city, but the city was never the same. And you know how that goes. And never built the same, never had the splendid same, and just lived on the old days, how things were in the past. And it's amazing how a church can reflect its culture. And so here they are in this, this well-placed, wealthy, wicked city. And what does God say to them, to this church? Now, what's interesting here, if you notice in chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, there's no persecution going on. There's no compromise. They're not compromising with sin or dealing with that in their lives. There's, there's no pressure to, to be like the world there. There's, there's none of those things that are going on in the church. Interesting. But here's what he says. He says in verse 1, He who has the seven spirits of God. He says, I am the one that has the very life of the church in my hands. He's talking about the spirits, the seven spirits. He's not talking about seven different spirits, but the manifold power of the Spirit of God, how, how the Spirit of God is able to work and give life into the church. I'm here to tell you this. When you go into a dead church, no man-made program, no gimmicks, no nothing could ever bring life to the church. It must be the Spirit of God that brings life to the church. One guy, one time, he came back, he came from some other country, and he said, what do you think of the American church? And here's what he said. I am surprised at how much the American church does without the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> think about that for a moment. But he is the one that has the seven spirits of God. He is the one that's able to give life to the church. He is the one that's able to handle this. And he is the one that has the seven stars, which are the leadership of the church. And here is, he's going to talk about a dead church. He says, this is what a dead church needs. It needs the very life, the spirit of God to come into and give the church life. And it needs the leadership of the church to be right with God and to faithfully shepherd the church. I remember asking one pastor that walked into a dead church, I said, what did you do? He said, I just went in there and thought a little bit of love, a little bit of leadership, and God will take care of the rest. And God did. Here's the one that has the seven spirits of God. Here's the one that has the seven stars. And here's what he says to them. I know your deeds, that you have a name that you're alive, but you're what? You're dead. You have a reputation that you are alive. This is not a church that somebody says, oh yeah, that church is dead. I know. They had the reputation of being alive. They had on the outside of being alive, but on the inside, what are they? They're dead. They're dead. 
Now, how does somebody have a reputation that doesn't match the reality? How does a church, how does that happen to a church? What goes on in a church that they have this great name, but they don't match their name? Well, here's what happens. Watch this. Tom Brainer, my good friend who I've never met, he mentions some things here. Look what he says. This is what happens when a reputation doesn't match reality. When a church treats the past as the hero. I remember our first Christmas program here. And we were standing at the door and it was beautiful. God really blessed. It was amazing. It was a, it was a tearjerker. I was crying. And somebody came up to me and says, boy, that was good. But I remember in the past in this church, we had amazing Christmas programs. That was encouraging, wasn't it? The past was the hero. Not only the past is a hero, they refuse to adapt the needs of the present community. What do you think happened in California when the community started to change and people said, well, they got to be like us if they're going to come in. No, who cares about them? Nope. And all of a sudden, they didn't adapt and they died. Look at this one. Moves the focus of the budget to be inward. When, when things just become inward, we got to take care of our, our own needs and we don't think about the community. The Great Commission becomes the Great Omission. I mean, think about this. When was the last time we talked to someone about Christ? When was the last time we shared Christ? We invited people? The Great Commission becomes the Great Omission. Look at this next one. It becomes a preference-driven church. Well, thank you for coming to Watford. I'll tell you how we are. This is us. It's all about preferences. The tenure of pastors decreases. There's a sick pattern that goes on where pastors only last two to three years and they're gone. They come in, the, the church is excited, everything's excited, they start to grow a little bit, the pastor says, okay, let's make some changes, uh-uh, no changes here, you're out of here, it starts to go. So then they, they kick them out, it goes down, they get a new pastor, it goes back up, they get a, it, it, they, he starts to make changes, they take them out, boom, boom, and it just keeps going in that cycle. And they don't last. They fail to have regular corporate prayer. They don't pray together. They have no clear purpose or vision. They don't even know why they exist. And they obsess over the facilities. It's all about the facilities that they have. And, and that's when the church dies. But look what the Lord says about them in verse 2. He says something about them that we really get a clue of why this church is dead. He says, I have not found your deeds. Look at the next. I have found your deeds what? Completed. Don't miss this. I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Here's what he's saying. You're doing things. You're going through the motions. But what you're doing is not satisfactory before God. I grade a lot of papers now and uh, because of the class. And I tell the students this, just do your best on the paper, give it a decent try, and you're going to get a good grade. And boy, I get some papers, and I look at them, and I say, they turned in what? Three pages, and they give me a page and a half? Some cite verses that are out of context that have nothing to do with the, the passage or different verses? I'm like, what? Did they even study this? 
And I, you know, I have fun with this because I got my little iPad pen, you know, and I can hit the red button and, and you know what I mean? I can do the circle around the words and take the minus one. I mean, it's fun to do that. I mean, it's, and you know what I mean? Because they've done it to me for all these years. Now I get them back. But, you know, you just go back and just the minus ones and the minus twos and the, and the minus threes and the ant, this ain't going to cut it. And that verse, this ain't going to make. And this is what God's doing to this church. He's looking at this church. He's saying, you know what? Your deeds, what you're doing, are not sufficient. They're not up to par. You're stagnant. You're stopped. You're, you're not doing your best for me. And that's what God wants. I have not found your deeds to be completed in my sight of my God. This is what happens when we live half-heartedly. This guy, James White, look what he says here. Here's how it comes into our lives. And this comes into all of our lives. I want you to see this. We're just too easily satisfied. We think, ah, I did this for God this week. I'm fine. I'm just too easily satisfied. I think Jesse was telling me, it was C.S. Lewis that said, it's not that, we're, um, that we don't ask for too much, it's that we settle for too little. And that's what happens. We settle for too little and our deeds are not complete in God's eyes. Oh, I've done a little bit. I shared Christ once this year. I'm happy. I, I read my Bible a little bit today. I'm happy. We, we're too easily satisfied. Look at the next thing. We're, we're quick to make excuses. Somebody comes with a new idea. We say, hey, that ain't going to work. Believe me. I've been here 30 years. I've been working with Jesus. That ain't going to work. You haven't even tried. No, that ain't going to work. We got excuse after excuse after excuse and we become complacent. Look at the next one. We never have enough time. And so we're busy doing all these things, but we're really not doing anything up to par. And we're busy doing a thousand things. And I mean, we're doing this and we're doing that. And we got this program and that program and we're doing this and we're doing that. And nothing is really being done well. And we say, well, I just don't have any time if I just had more time. And really, we have enough time to do the things that we like. Look at this one. We're no longer teachable. People come up to us and they say, you know what? This is that and this is that. No, 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 it ain't. No, it ain't. No, it's not. And really what that is is pride. Because we think we have it all taken down. We become complacent because we know better than everyone else. And then we're content with early success. We say, oh, you know, look how it was back in when I started this all. This was so good. Now I'm content with that. But we're living in today. And you see this church, the hero was the past. And they, they kept talking about it. They were easily satisfied. And they were a stagnant church. And they really weren't bothering the community. You know why? Because they were doing nothing. And they weren't reaching out and they weren't sharing Christ and they were just following the mold. And what does God say? He says, uh-uh. He says, your deeds are not up to par. Here's what I want you to do. He gives us a Rocky Balboa five commands. You know what I call Rocky Balboa five commands? He gets into the ring here and he goes, bing, 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 bing. He gives us a ring. I mean, he just knocks it out. You guys probably like Mike Tyson. He's a little bit better. But I'm a Rocky Balboa guy. He just gets, he gets here, wake up. Remember this. Keep it. Boom, boom, boom. And he just knocks us out. I mean, these are strong commands. Look what he says here. He says here in verse two, wake up. And really what he's saying is this. Become spiritually aware of your circumstances. 
Stop being so complacent and stagnant in your lives. Wake up. Look at what is going on in this world. See what is going on. Don't you see it? It's time for us to wake up. We're sitting there. We're asleep at the wheel. Wake up. This is a spiritual waking up. And see what's going on. We'll never be what God wants us to be unless we're spiritually alert. He says, wake up. He says, strengthen the things that remain. There's some people, and we're going to talk about them in a moment, that are there. He says, build up those people that are about to die. Strengthen those things that remain. Go in there and salvage. Rescue what you can. Strengthen what you can. Look at the next one. Remember what you have received and heard. You know what he's talking about there? The very gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, remember when you received the gospel, remember when you heard the gospel, remember what the gospel should do to your lives. Remember the very power of the gospel. Remember how it changes life. Remember how the gospel causes us no longer to live for self, but to live for God. Look at this verse here in 2 Corinthians. He says, the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all and therefore all what died. That he died for all so that we would no longer, look at this, no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, remember how the gospel changed your life and remember what the gospel tells you to do each day of your life to no longer live for self, but to live for who? Christ. Wake up. Remember the things he says, and then he goes this. He goes, keep it. So what if we have in our forefront what the gospel is doing? We need to do something about it. We need to keep it. We need to continually do it. That's how the change will happen. And then, I love this word, repent. What he says here is we need to change things. Boy, I read a book. And in that book, he says... We need to be A, B, C, S Christians. <laughs> Someone's got it. You know what A, B, C, S Christians are? Are you ready for this? I don't know if you're going to like this. Always be changing something. Do we like that? Oh, we don't like no change. Who moved these seats? I'm going to find them. I don't like these changes. Oh, and I love how churches say they want changes until you change. And then all of a sudden, their wanting of a change it really wasn't what they want. Oh, oh yeah, we will do. Uh, one pastor, he went in there, he says, guys, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this, this, and this. And he laid it all out. Oh, we love it. We love it. We love it. As soon as he started doing it, you're out of here. He lasted a year. He was gone. Oh, we hate it. We all hate it. But we always need to be improving something. And what I mean by that is not like we're going to be flipping on our heads or changing the chairs and all that stuff. What I'm talking about is this. God, how can we improve our ministries that we're doing right now? How can we better reach our children that are coming to church? How can we better reach the community that are coming? How can we better reach the adults? How can we better pray? We're always looking to improve. And then we look at our facilities and say, Lord, what, what better can we do to make the facilities better? Whatever. We're always looking to improve. 
But that takes repentance. That takes a change of mind that leads to a change of action. But we get caught in this rut of things and churches. And all of a sudden we're just the same and everything. And then all of a sudden we wound up doing nothing that is worth anything. And we die. There's a church in Inglewood, Colorado, 114 years old. They used to run a thousand people that Tim right now is working with. They're closing their doors. They read Scrappy Church. By the way, that's one of my favorite books, Scrappy Church. And he talks about scrappy pastors, and I tell people I'm usually that, with the S sometimes, without the S, but anyway. Um, <laughs> and they read that book, and they said, wow, we love this book. We're going to change. We're going to change. You know how much they changed? Absolutely nothing. They're closing their doors. Nothing. We need to watch, wake up. We need to remember, we need to keep, we need to repent, strengthen the things that remain. Because look what the Lord says. If you do not wake up, I am going to come as a thief. And what am I going to do? And you will not know the hour and I will come to you. He's not talking about the second coming here or the rapture or something that we're going to be all excited to go up. He's talking about judgment upon this church. He says, if you don't get your act together, if you just keep going through the motions, if you're stagnant and complacent, if you're not going to live and do the deeds and give your best to me, I'm going to shut the thing down and he does and we have seen it over and over and over again where they say you know what yeah we do want to do something for Jesus when they really just want to keep going through the motions for Jesus and yeah they give God something but they only give God a half heart they don't give him everything they got and that only lasts a certain amount of time and finally he says enough and he comes and he shuts them down. You know, what's, you know what's amazing about churches like this is that we walked into one like that. We walked into one where the last two pastors were fired. And they only lasted about three years. What I didn't know is that one of the main reasons why they left here is because of the abuse that the church was putting on the pastor's wives. That one said, I am leaving here because the abuse on my wife. I didn't know that. We walked into here. Katie went out with the same ladies that were doing the things that that was abusing the wives. And, and, and Katie is an amazing, amazing woman. She's an amazing woman. And she goes, not knowing this, she goes out with these ladies. Now, can you imagine my sweet, beautiful, wonderful wife going out with these ladies? And they go out with these ladies and they're sitting there and they start talking. You know, the last two pastors, right? The pastor's wife had a lot of, you know, they had a lot of clicks and all this and they were doing all these things and, and all that. What are you going to do, Katie, about that? What are you going to do? And Katie, I, she, I mean, I, I don't even know how the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gave it and said, ladies, I don't want to disappoint you, but my husband's my best friend. I hang out with him. The ladies were like, uh, <laughs> I don't know what to do with the next question. I don't know where to go with that one. Unbelievable. The carnal things that were happening that I started to see as, as God, God brought me here and 
the taping of each other in leadership meetings, the, the yelling, the, the different things that were going on. I couldn't believe it. But what I didn't see right away that I came to appreciate so much is that there were a few people, and I say a few, not just two or three, but there were quite a bit, but a few people in Sardis, like it says here, who have not soiled their garments and they walk with me in white for they are worthy. There were people here that some have moved away, some have gone, but some are still here who love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and mind, who really wanted to see Whitefield move forward, who really wanted to be shepherd, and there were a few people who really loved God. And some of them you know and you've seen. The Brasinos. I Ray, he left the church before I came. Came back. We went out for dawn. I mean, unbelievable. They love the Lord. They love the children. They love the church. Rick and Karen who left and I had to golf them back into the church. He came back here. <laughs> love the Lord. Wilfredo. Not many people know about Wilfredo. Silent guy in the back there. You don't want to mess with him because he's got mafia connections, but he's a great guy. <laughs> Let me tell you something about Wilfred. He loves the Lord. And he was instrumental. I thank God for you. Instrumental in helping the church be all that God has brought it to be. You'll want people like that. And let me tell you, I don't care how much of a mess a church gets, there's always a few who love him. And there were. And he says, look, and this is what's interesting. Remember the word name? You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. That word people there in the Greek is name. It's, you have a few names there that are okay, who, who aren't complacent, who aren't soiled their garment, who aren't living like the world, who really do love the Lord, who are going to help this church be all that God wants it to be. And I praise God for that. And look what he says here. Here's, here's some, of the, some of the rewards that you get for, for going into a situation like that and watching God do the work that only He can. He who overcomes will be clothed in white garments. You know what that's saying there? It's saying that we'll have eternal justification. People talk about the blood of Jesus and they, they mess it all up. You know, the one guy said, I'll never get COVID because of the blood of Jesus. That's not what the blood of Jesus is about. The blood of Jesus is about covering our sins. And the same people, oh, blood of Jesus, I'm covered by the blood, are dying of COVID. And giving a bad name to the blood of Jesus. Let me tell you what the blood of Jesus does. Because of the blood of Jesus, we are covered from our sins, the penalty of our sins for eternity. White garments. Because of the blood of the Lamb. I will not erase his name from the book of life. We're eternal security there. We understand that he's never going to blot it out. We know because we're living for him. We're giving him our bed. And look at this. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. I remember one guy telling me, I'm out there witnessing. He goes like this. I'm going to witness for Jesus, Jeremy. I'm going to do all this. You know why? Because I don't want to stand before God one day and he'd be ashamed of my name. So I'm not going to be ashamed of his name. And I'm going to confess his name to the world. See the problem with the church? The problem with the church is they kept looking to the past. You know how we were 40 years ago? We were a great church. And now, because of the culture, we're nothing. It's 
It's not true. I'm thankful there's a new chapter here at Whitefield. And I'm thankful that the best is yet to come. And we keep looking forward. And that may mean we need to be changing some things. What we are going to change is the message. But we may need to change some things. But that's okay. Because we don't want to be complacent. We don't want to just say, I can't make this better. We want to give everything we got for as long as we got. And we want to thank Him for what we got. But say, Lord, use us to help us to be all that you want to be. Look at this. Look, look at this uh, question I have to ponder. Does your reality match your reputation? You know, some people say, I'm a church go. I read the Bible. I, I, but no one ever bothers me. Well, something's wrong. Or somebody says, you know what? Yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I, I do this, but their life doesn't show. Something's wrong. So the question is, does our reality match what people think about us? And I like what Worsby says. Don't worry about your reputation. Worry about your character and God will take care of your reputation. Worry about what you need to do. And do it with all your heart, soul, and mind. And when you see God do things, and when you hear a chalmer say, if God can turn around Whitefield, He can turn around any church. And here's a man who's been here over 40 years. And he's watched God do a work. But I'll tell you right now, let's not get complacent. We still got a long way to go. Let's keep moving forward for God's glory. Let's pray. I think it's time we all look at our hearts for a moment here and just between us and God and and ask yourself, have you become complacent? I mean, it's easy for me, even as a pastor, to look at things and say, you know what, we're doing okay, we're fine, we don't need to do anything else. But now it's time to search our hearts and say, Lord, am I giving you my best? Or am I just going through the motions? Or am I happy what I gave you 20 years ago, but I'm really not giving you what I used to give you? Now's the time to change. Now's the time to wake up. Now's the time to remember what you've received, what you heard. Now's the time to keep it. Now's the time to repent and say, Lord, change my heart. Father, how easy it is for us to go through the motions, to be happy with what things are going on and forget that you want us to give our very best. We don't want to hear that our works are not completed in your sight. We don't want just to have a reputation of a church that loves a community and loves people. We want that to be reality. And we're thankful for what you're doing and we're thankful to how you've nursed this very church back to health. 
and use the people that you have used to bring this church back to health. And I thank you so much for each one of them. But Lord, we realize we have a lot of work ahead of us. This world is getting darker. It is getting harder to live for you in a culture that hates you. But yet, Lord, you put us right here for that very purpose. So help us, O oh God, to do the things that would bring honor, the most honor and glory. We don't just want to be busy Christians. We want to be effective Christians. Not just going through and doing so many different things, but doing the things that we're doing at a high level for your honor and glory. So we pray that you use us in that way. I can't thank you enough for this church. And thank you for the people that you have brought here. And Lord, I pray that you continue to use each one for your honor and glory. We pray in Jesus' precious name and for his glory. Amen.